0: Um, we're going into our story for the, the fourth session today. We're going to be talking about uh, Jacob and Isaac, Isaac and Jacob. And um, I want to talk to you, really, the, the subtitle of this, this talk is The Encounter. And um, we're taking this mainly Genesis, as you're following on, we're Genesis 25 through 32. Now, obviously, we will not read all of those chapters to set the setting Uh, For our talk today, but you need to stay up with the reading or at least catch up afterwards so that you understand where I'm going and why Uh, But we're covering over the next several weeks the Bible The whole Bible in like 14 weeks And so there's quite an endeavor and so we're going through it quickly But we're pulling out nuggets that you need to grasp to be able to move forward effectively uh, With God in your life. So just to review quickly last week, we talked about Who? Abraham. Oh, somebody gets an A. Talk about Abraham and um, how God moved from dealing with all of humanity to dealing with one man. And it became a a relationship that was built on faith, and it was a personal relationship. And that even though um, God had moral imperatives that don't change, because all of the Noah's flood issue came out of people really becoming corrupt and, and evil. Scripture says that they were evil. Every imagination was evil. So there, it doesn't change that there's moral imperatives, but that the basic relationship is built on faith and faithfulness, not moral imperatives, commandments, and obedience. And there is a big difference. God's people and God's family is the manifestation of God's kingdom in this world. And God moved from dealing with, with all the world that was not showing his kingdom to, to dealing with one man and his family that would show the kingdom to the world. That's part of what we're doing uh, this weekend, this next weekend, with this thing that, that Jackie has worked on. Because we are manifesting the kingdom to these people. And folks, if God will get involved when we manifest kingdom, uh, it's more than just preaching good on Sunday Sunday. It's living in kingdom on Monday. And what, what we have going on in this venture is an opportunity for us as a church to manifest kingdom blessing to people so they can know what God's kingdom looks like. Because it looks like us blessing others. God did pick Abraham, and, and when you look at, at this line of people, It's interesting that that Genesis, um, God says, when he's going to take care of Sodom and Gomorrah, he says this about Abraham. He says, says, shall I not tell Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that he was lead his children in righteousness. God literally chose Abraham because he was going to be faithful to him, and he was going to raise his children to follow the Lord. And, and that's a huge thing. And yet when you look at his children, it's a, little, it's a little crazy. Because God is the God, as he tells Moses, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But anyone, anyone ever hear that before? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, what's crazy is that we have in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a liar, a liar, a liar, and a swindler, and a cheat. There is your spiritual, her- spiritual heritage, just so you understand. Now, it's not that they always lied. If you lie once, you're a liar. They, in different seasons of their lives, were lying. And that's why I say it this way. But, but the reality is this, guys. I want you to catch this. God does not call you because you're so cute. Because you're so amazing. Because you're flawless and perfect. He doesn't call you because you have no blemishes, there's no, you know, issues in your life. He calls you with all of it. Because we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are liar, again, just to review, liar, 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 swindler, cheat. And yet they are still God's people. They are the patriarchs. They are literally the people that we look to as the foundation the fathers of our faith. The Bible does not provide us, and this is important, this is one of the things, if somebody ever questions you on the Bible, this is one of the great proofs of scripture, that it really is more than just some uh, literary piece that people wrote to kind of glorify God and, and sway people to follow them. The Bible does not provide us with idealized personifications of virtues. He doesn't just He doesn't say, well, here's got to be this perfect human being. There's got to be the the pinnacle person and create and craft this character out of fiction, because that's what it would have to be, to just personify all of these values and morals and, and perfectness. No, God shows us these guys with all their warts, with all their issues, with all their problems. The Bible reveals people with all their flaws and shortcomings, he gives us a picture of real people leaving real lives with a real God. And because of that, this is the awesome thing, gang, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your life looks like, no matter how jacked up you are, if you came in here broken by your own sin, I want to tell you this. God has a way to make you okay. He has a way to pull you out of darkness and bring you into light. He has a way to bring you out of the miry clay and to shape you to be somebody that he can use for his glory. He doesn't want you perfect. He just wants you your, to be His. That's it. He doesn't need you to be ideal and awesome. Some people have talked to some people that, are, that I invite to church or that I invite to a Bible study with me, and they go, well, now, you know, I, let me get some things straight in my life first. Let me, let me get some things handled first. What that tells me is they don't understand that God is in the rebuilding business. God is interested in you, and he'll work on your mess later. Though that's true, God is always working in us to reveal himself and his kingdom through us. That's why I am excited about this thing with Jackie next weekend. And like I said last week, if you want to go and the only time you can go is Sunday morning when we're having church... When Denny Kramer's here next week? If that's the only time you can go, then go. You have my permission and blessing. Don't show up in your pajamas. But this is the thing. This church has got to become more than just being about church. This this thing has got to become more than just gathering on Sunday morning. We've got to decide that we are going to change this region. We have got to begin to act and do things that put us in position to do it. And this is one of those acts. Thank you, Jackie. God wants us to look like him. And what's interesting about what we're going to read about today, today we're going to read about one of the most interesting characters in Scripture. His name is Jacob. And I say character on purpose. Not because he's a made-up person, but because his life, he was quite a character. (laughs) His story... Jacob's story is about God's working in his life. Hear me on this. The story of Jacob is about God's actions to work in a man's life, to bring him to the place that he looks more like God. Let's pray for a second. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I need your revelation to come. I need your revelation, your spirit of revelation, understanding to come and to just... Elevate us, Lord. Let our hearts be open. Let our minds be open. Quicken things to our minds and hearts that, Lord God, you want transformed. And then just reach down and change it. Let us just give you permission to move our junk and to heal our mess. We thank you for it, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. So. We remember last week how we finished up and Abraham is, is offering his, his son, his only son Isaac, on the altar. His blade is raised and the, the angel stops him and says, you know, Abraham, do no harm to the boy. And They end up sacrificing a ram in its place. And this boy, Isaac, grows. And, and to be honest, we don't have a ton of, ton, ton of information. There's a lot more said about other men in the Bible than there is about Isaac. What we know about Isaac is that he is the carrier of promise. He is the, the promised child of Abraham, and, and God is going to bring his blessing into the world through him. And yet, he marries a beautiful woman named Rebecca, and they are trying to start a family, and they find that, that Rebecca is barren. She can't bear children. And all of a sudden, it looks like again, now hear this. Remember how we talked about last week. God will always let it look like covenant is in jeopardy. The promise might not come to pass is how it looks. This is an impossibility. God said, but I don't know how. And that's a good thing. If you are in the place of impossibility, then that's just the most awesome place to be because then get ready for a miracle. You know, everybody, I used to work with a gentleman who was very used in the gift of miracles. And um, he went into his churches at times. He'd go, who here wants a miracle? And they would go like, ah. And then he'd say, who here wants to need a miracle? See, but God, God is about miracle working. And if he has a promise in your life, then that promise is going to come to pass no matter what impossibility is surrounding you. And so Rebecca's barren. She can't have any children. But God's got a promise. So what happens? She gets pregnant. And and what's crazy is that she starts to feel like something's wrong. She literally goes to her husband and says, something is wrong. And so she goes to the Lord and says, what's going on? And God says this to her, inside your womb are two nations. And the older son will serve the younger. Now that is completely outside of normal in, in the Old Testament times. The oldest son was the dude. And um, he was the one that, that everything came through. He, if there was to be a ruler over dad's house, it was going to be him. And so God's saying this to Rebecca throws off the whole traditional economy of how things are done in those times. And all of a sudden, as she comes to full term, the first baby that comes out, he's covered in hair, red hair. He was a man child from the beginning. Dude came out shaven. His name was Esau. The second one comes out, and literally, the scripture says that he literally grabbed the heel of his brother. His hand was on his foot as he's coming out the birth canal. And they called his name Jacob, which literally means to be a grabber of the heel or to be somebody who trips another. Now, these two brothers, there's this constant kind of struggle. Esau is, um, he is kindly a dude. He would get along real well in the northern tier. Scripture says that he is a man of the field. He is somebody who goes out. He's a hunter. He is um, somebody who cooks game. Anybody relating with this guy here? He is a dude. And, um, And he's also daddy's boy. He's the firstborn. He is Isaac's pride and joy. Now, Jacob, Scripture says, is a little different. Um, he is, what the Scriptures say, is a man of the tents, which means he likes being home. Um, when his brother's out gallivanting around and, and hunting and fishing and killing stuff, you know, Jacob's learning how to sew. He's, he's probably researching the Internet on like the next really good hair product out there. They didn't have internet then, just in case you were wondering. Um, But what's interesting is Jacob is mama's boy. where, Where Esau is daddy's boy, Jacob is mama's boy, and there is a family conflict from the beginning. Because mommy's got her favorite, and daddy's got his favorite, and there's struggle. I want you to hear this. Even in God's family, from the very beginning, there's family issues. Don't feel like you're weird if you got some family issues. Because God's family has always had issues. It's just part of being human. But again, we, I need to understand in that God did not choose perfect people. And we see that especially in Jacob. Now, Jacob, Jacob is a sharp-thinking dude. Where his brother is out, and, and, and he's going and, and becoming an expert in the fields. It seems as though his brother is somebody who's a thinker. He is reasonable. And, and he ends up in a place where his brother Esau goes out hunting one day and comes home with nothing. And he finds his brother Jacob cooking some beans. Just some beans and some bread. And, and his brother says to him, he says, give me some beans or I'm going to die. And Jacob says this, if you give me your blessing, if you give me your blessing, I'll give it to you. He's like, what good does the blessing do if I die? Pretty sure he probably wasn't going to die that moment, but hey, that's the way he felt. Just so you know, folks, <laughs> when your body feels like it, it's, it's going to die, um, chances are good. Like, I know I feel like that generally about 1 o'clock on a Sunday. I haven't eaten all morning. I've been praying since whenever and, and all that stuff. And I feel like I'm going to die. I'm pretty sure I got enough uh, Chunky Monkey around that I could, I could survive at least another, say, seven weeks. <laughs> Don't trust how you feel because it causes you to give up things that you want. Esau ends up agreeing, gives his brother his birthright, gives his brother his birthright. And that begins to establish Jacob over, over Esau. Now, this is important. He receives at that time the birthright, but there's this other component called the blessing. Now, I want to, you need to understand this, so I got to do a little bit of background here. But the birthright, the birthright that, that, that Esau gave up when he was eating the beans and the bread, the birthright was the physical inheritance. When a Jewish family at that time in history had an oldest son, the oldest son would get two-thirds of everything dad had. And the younger sons, if there were 20 of them, it didn't matter, the other 20 would split the one-third that was left. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Unless you're the older brother. Then it's like, yes! But see, the, um, the, that's, the, that's the birthright. The blessing was different. The blessing was the blessing that came from Abraham. Abraham's blessing, some of you will remember, I talked about it last week. It's in in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and it says this. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the thing. When, when Esau gave the birthright, he gave the two-thirds. He still got a third. It was fine. But the blessing, folks, the blessing is what was going to change the world. The blessing is what the Lord said, that he would make his name great, that he'd make him a great nation, that through him, all of the earth would be blessed. That is where, where the real power of God was what's amazing, what's amazing is that Jacob actually cheats his brother out of both. For those of you who don't know the story, Isaac is old. Scripture says that his eyes are dim. And and he calls his son Esau, and he says, go out into the field and go catch yourself a big old deer. And make me some of that good venison that I love. And so his son goes out and he's going hunting. And what does does mama do? Mama goes and tells Jacob what's going on. Says, your dad is about to bless Esau. Go get two goats. And so he goes and gets two goats and they skin the goats and they cook the goats. And Esau, again, remember, Esau was born with a hairy chest. So they take the skins of the goats and they put it on his arms, on Jacob's arms, and on his chest. And there's a point where, where Jacob goes into his father and says, "Dad, I've got your, your savory meat that you love." And so Isaac's not stupid he's blind he's just he's not dumb and he says he says, "Come here my son." he said, "The voice is of Jacob, but the words are of Esau And so mama had covered him remember now mom covered his arms with with goat's hair and, and and put it on his chest, and they put on Esau's clothes. So so Isaac is smart, and he says, Come here, my son, let me kiss you. Kiss me. So he kisses him and he goes, The smell of my son is the smell of the field. And then he feels his arms. And he says, His arms are hairy. And he begins to bless. Hear this. He begins to bless Jacob with Esau's blessing. The effects in this are huge. Because he blesses him, and listen to the blessing he gets. This is in Genesis uh, 28, verses 28 through 29. It says that he blesses him with the product of the land, in harvest and in wine. He, he blesses him that people would serve him. He blesses, blesses him with dominion over his brother Jacob. He blesses him with blessing... And he says, I'll bless bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. He gives them that portion of the Abrahamic blessing. And he is definitely, hear this, he is definitely trying to bless his boy. But this is the thing. I want you to know what's missing from the Abrahamic blessing. There is no mention of a great nation. There's no mention of making his name great. There's no mention of blessing the nations through him. And and what's happening is that he's stealing his brother's blessing. And the effects are devastating. Can you imagine the level of betrayal that you would feel if your brother swindled you out of your blessing from your father? Esau is bent. (laughs) In Genesis uh, 27... Thirty-six. Esau says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? It's sad. He destroys, hear this, Jacob, because he wanted effectively, was, was not his. He destroyed the relationships in his life. His brother... Esau, from this point forward, literally, they have to send Jacob away to go get a wife as an excuse to get him away from his brother who said, oh yeah, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. He is dead. And when he leaves, he, he never sees his mother, Rebecca ever again. What's amazing, guys, what's amazing, and I want you to hear this. You need to get what's yours from the Lord. You need to get what's yours in the Lord. And trust that he's working it out. Because I want you to check this out. Jacob stole Esau's blessing, but he had his own. I want you to hear this. This is Genesis 28, 1 through 4. Listen to this very carefully. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And then he commanded him, said, so do not marry any Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's Father Bethuel, take a wife for yourself from there, from among the daughters of Laban. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you, hear this, may he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. So that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. The land that God gave to Abraham. I want you to hear me really, really carefully on this. Jacob went through all the hassle, alienated all of his family. He's losing everything. He's losing connection with his mom, who is his best friend in the whole world. He's losing connection with his brother, who now wants to kill him. But this is the thing. The blessing that he got was not his. The blessing that he wanted was coming to him anyway. Abraham's blessing was coming to him anyway. God, we need to trust God's working. Isaac, certainly, Esau is his favorite. He is daddy's boy, but he is a man of God, and he's hearing from the Lord, and he reserved the part of the blessing that needed to go to Jacob for Jacob. Trust God that he knows what your part is. Trust him. Trust him. After this, so many things happen. It's like a whirlwind of life. This is where we catch some of the scenes. Anyone ever hear of Jacob's ladder? Jacob's ladder happens in Genesis 28, verses 10 through 15. I won't read it all for the sake of time, but, but he, he shows up at a place that's later called Bethel, which is the house of the Lord. And... He sees a ladder going from, from it says, from the, the heavens to the earth. And there's angels going up and down on it. And he says, and, and he sees that there's God on the top. And God promises, hear this, God promises him to give him the land and descendants like dust spreading around the world. And that the world would be blessed because of him. And he says this, I am with you, I will watch over you, and I will bring you back to this place. God confirms his covenant with Abraham, with Jacob, despite the fact that he's a swindler and a cheat. I want you to hear me real quick on this. This isn't even in my notes, but you need to hear it. Don't misunderstand God's blessing as an affirmation of what you're doing. He might be blessing you just because he is going to bring something through you to the world. That doesn't mean he likes how you're acting. God's blessing does not mean he approves. God's blessing means that He's got a purpose for you that's bigger than your, your feeble actions. Is that, you understanding me on that? But that doesn't change the fact that what you sow you reap. And the harvest that you catch is the one that you planted. He meets Rachel. She's this beautiful young woman and he sees her and he loves her so much as soon as he sees her. He says, it says in scripture that he kissed her, which was completely illegal. He should have been killed. Um, and I still feel the same way about my daughters, just so you know. Um, he kissed her. Yeah, take note of that, Colin. Um, he kissed her. And he cried. Colin would cry afterward. What happens is there's an arrangement made for marriage for Rachel. But as I said, what you sow, you reap. And and, and Jacob was a cheater and a swindler. And guess what? He reaps cheating and swindling. Because he wants Rachel. He actually makes a deal with his daddy. That he's going to work for seven years to pay for her. And at the end of seven years, he says, okay, at the end of seven years, I want my wife. So there's a big marriage ceremony. They all came to the church. You know, she marches down the aisle with a veil over her face. And, and, and everything goes through. They get married. And Jacob takes her back to the tent. And when she takes the veil off, it's not Rachel. It's her older sister. It's Leah. And evidently, according to scripture, Leah was not maybe as cute as Rachel, but guess what? There was a tradition in the land that we can't marry the younger before the older, and I probably should have told you before you worked seven years for her, but enjoy your wife. Oh, you want Rachel? Oh, that'll cost you another seven years, Jacob. So he loves her. He's going to do it. So he works 14 years for her. And all of a sudden during this time, she comes to him. Just so you know the story, and a lot of people misunderstand this in Scripture. He doesn't work seven more years and then get married after that. There's the wedding for Leah. He works out the new deal to work for seven years. And then he gets his wife right away again. So he's got two wives in one week. I think you need a little more warm-up than that. But that's beside the point. I got married with one wife in one week, and I needed... Counseling. Anyway. <laughs> and they <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I hope I hope my brother who said that is not here with another person, another woman. A woman here. That would be complicated. I, I'm I'm available for prayer afterward. I heard it from coming over here somewhere. Um this is the thing though. He's got two wives and and they start a family. There's a problem, though. Leah's popping out babies like a Pez dispenser. I mean, she's just kicking them out. She is the baby factory. And I know it's more complicated than that, ladies. Don't be offended. I've been there. I I was so worn out afterward, I had to go take a nap. So there's babies coming all over the place. But this is the thing. Rachel can't have babies. Rachel's barren. And, and and Jacob ends up, you know, again, he's dealing with the consequences of his actions. But then, as things come, as time progresses, God calls Jacob back. After like 20 years, you figure he's worked 14 years just for these two women. And then, and then, they start having babies, except for Rachel, and, and in that, two of other women come involved and become wives of, of Jacob, and they're having babies, they're having babies, they're having babies, and, and there's 10 children who are born, and for those of you who may have heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, this is where they come from. They're all sons born to these four women. So there's babies all over the place, but God shows up after 20 years, and God calls Jacob home. There's just one massive problem. Esau. And by now, Rachel is pregnant and had her first son named Joseph. She's, she's having another who's going to be Benjamin. So, so the issue of the covenant and the problems through, through Rachel are being resolved. But, but there's this one glaring problem... Esau is back in the land. And Esau, last I heard about Esau, he said, I'm going to kill that dude. Probably said it about like that. And so he is going to destroy his brother. And so Jacob's going to follow the Lord. They start going, and he's grown incredibly wealthy. He's got camels, and he's got goats, and he's got lambs, and he's, he's taking all of his possessions back to the land of Canaan. And and he sends a messenger forward to try to cool out his brother, find out where he's at, try to take his temperature. and And his messengers come back to him and say, yeah, yeah, we spoke to your brother Esau. He's really excited to see you. He's coming with 400 men. <laughs> now, just so you know, in case you're wondering, generally you don't take... 400 men to go say hi to your brother who's been gone for 20 years. He's bringing an army. And it doesn't look good. And yet, God is moving on this man, this patriarch, this man named Jacob. And he knows he's called back home, but he also knows that there's a penalty for the way he's acted, and it looks like it's coming down the pike and going to wipe him out. He's so scared, guys. He actually divides his possessions, into four different sections. And he separates them. And he puts Leah and her sons over there. And then he puts the concubines and their sons over there. And then over here, he's got Rachel and her son. He's trying to protect her most. You know, they're in the front. (laughs) He's hoping that maybe they could divert, you know, sorry guys, love you, but we're going to try to escape this way. It's bad. Jacob is desperate. He's desperate. And this is where I want to bring you to today. Is that this desperation in him produced an encounter that changed his life. This is found when you look in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. I'm going to pick it up in verse um, 24 for the person that's working the PowerPoint. Scripture says this, so Jacob was left alone, and a man, hear this, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, this man seems to come out of nowhere because what did it say just a second ago? He was left uh, alone. But then he wrestled with a man till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched As he wrestled with the man. And the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob answered, excuse me, he answered, Jacob. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, "Please tell me your name." But he replied, "Why do you ask my name?" Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, "It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared." And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. There are moments in life that we become like Jacob, that God literally invites us into a place where we demand, where we cannot live if things do not change. In that situation, he invites us into a wrestling match, a place where prayer that we make can prevail over the situation. A place where the name that we've carried becomes changed to reflect the victory of the wrestling match that we're in. It was this single encounter that took Jacob from the tripper, from the supplanter, from the one who grabs the heel to being Israel, a prince, a ruler, with God and with man. It was this place that so affected him that his literally, his hip is broken out of joint. Now for anybody here who knows anything about the hip joint, the hip joint is the most powerful, strong joint of your entire body. If you get your hip blown out, you've been in some kind of trauma. The only time usually folks get their hips out of joint is if they get into a head-on collision with an automobile And it centers on their pelvis. And it shatters the pelvis and it causes their hip to pop out. That's almost the only way that it can happen. It's so strong. And yet, his wrestling match with God puts his hip out of joint. And for the rest of his life, this encounter with God changed how Jacob walked forever. There are times, folks, that we have got to allow ourselves to become desperate. We have got to choose to allow for the circumstance and situations that we're facing to really grab hold of us. To drive us to our knees. To bring us to the place where we go to God and where just praying a simple prayer is no longer a sufficient answer. We're waiting on God for the answer. Next week, next year, next month is no longer okay because if I don't get an answer tonight, I won't see another sunset. There's got to be something in the people of God that rises up and says, "I need an answer." Today I believe strongly That God wants to move in your life. The story of Jacob is not just one of a patriarch who had his hip wrecked. It's a story of a man who is forever changed. We never see him be that man that he was before his name change. The name change is a, is a delineation. It's a mark of demarcation. It's a place of change where where. Jacob is never again the same. And and there's times there's us in this room who are struggling with things, whatever they may be, issues of character that cause us to circle around the same problem over and over again. Can I tell you something honestly? Honestly, as your brother, as your pastor, character is the last and hardest thing to change. There are people who've been saved for years. And yet, they still lie. They still cheat. They still do stupid stuff. Because, because even though you're a believer, and even though you're a child of God, and even though God forgives you, you are dealing with stuff because of character issues. This is the thing. God God needs you to come to the place that you so want change that you get involved in prayer and he changes how you walk. That for the rest of your life, you limp. That your gait is changed because of the wrestling match you've had with the Spirit of God. But see, if he changes how you walk, he can change your name. If you'll you'll let him change how you walk, he'll change the course of your life. But what's interesting is you've got to choose to go there. Jacob left himself alone on the other side of the river Jabbok. He chose to go and wrestle with a man. you got to choose it. Because if you want to hold on to your mess, God will let you. What does God want to change in your life today? Because if if God is really going to manifest his kingdom through us, then we need to end up growing into a character, into a person that reflects him. It's not enough to say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. It is, it is that you're a believer, and that's good. That gets you into the family. But if, if your baby, upon being born, and, and mama's nursing or however else, and the diapers are being changed, and, you know, if, if at 24 years old, we're still changing diapers, something's wrong. God absolutely accepts you where you are, in the mess that you have, the, the disaster that your life is. Whatever it is, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, it doesn't matter. He loves you and he died to save you, but he does want you to grow. And that means you've got to open up the corridors of your soul and go, what are you working on now, Lord? What are you working on now, Lord? What needs to change now? Because God is about making us more like him. Because that's where we find peace and hope. That's where we find real transformation. And so today, so today I invite you, I invite you to this avenue of change where you might walk out of here with a limp But if you do, let me promise you this, your name will be changed. I know that this kind of preaching, there's nobody who wants to come to this altar today. And there's people going, well, if I go up, you know, lose the spiritual pride. Because you know what? If God isn't working on you about something, then you're not praying. God isn't working on you about some area of your life, some area of your character, then you aren't engaged with God the way you should be. I don't care who it is. If it's the eldest saint who is a founding member of this church, or if it's the most brand new Christian, God ought to be working on you, or you're not in the place where you should be with God. And none of y'all like hearing that, but that's the truth anyhow. So, Now that we have that out of the way. What's God want to change in your life right now? Because I believe that these seeds of miracles that were planted here early want to begin to grow and manifest in your life. But you have to choose to water it with the Spirit through prayer and allow him to bring the harvest in your life I love you that's why I'm telling you this I could preach a nice little happy message but that wouldn't take you where you need to go it's time for change so let's stand we're going to sing if you want to come and pray come on If you don't want to pray, that's cool. If you need to go, you're dismissed. But gang, let God change your life. Because he wants to.